Welcome again, and we are continuing our series on our book study in the book of Romans, and our theme is God's righteousness. Today, we will look at chapter 3, and we will be looking at God's provision for righteousness. I invite you to open your Bibles with me and follow along and open to Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 31. The book of Romans contains a very deep and rich theology and so don't be surprised if you find yourself, uh, as you study this book, you find yourself uh, in a challenging situation because it's difficult to understand. But as you read the book of Romans, here's the key. Think of God's righteousness. That's the whole theme of Romans. And as you read every verse, every sentence, every paragraph, and every passage, think of these questions. How is this verse, sentence, or paragraph connected to God's righteousness? Another question would be, what does this passage say about the righteousness that comes from God? And how does this truth apply to my life? So that's the theme of Romans, God's righteousness. And as we study, here's also a good outline to help us in our study of Romans. First is the introduction. The gospel reveals God's righteousness. Notice again the theme of God's righteousness all throughout. Then condemnation, it shows us the need for God's righteousness, then justification, the provision for God's righteousness, which is the thing that we will look at today. And then sanctification, starting chapter 6 to 8, which is the demonstration of God's righteousness, and then restoration, particularly connected with Israel and their future in God's righteousness. And then application, which is the behavior reflecting God's righteousness, is starting chapter 12 towards chapter 15. And finally, Paul's closing words. Now, in the first three chapters of Romans, Paul shows us why there is a need for us to have that righteousness that comes from God. You see, he tells us that all Gentiles are sinners, and Gentiles includes us in chapter 1. Then all Jews are sinners. He, Paul said that in chapter 2. And then he concluded towards chapter 3 that all human beings are sinners. And this is the theme of the first three chapters of Romans, the condemnation towards all of humanity. And in other words, that is the bad news. Here's the bad news. All of humanity have sinned against God and we lack the perfect righteousness that God demands. And Paul tells us that the problem of sin is universal. It is not limited to some people, but sin is universal. It doesn't matter whether you are a Jew or a Greek. It doesn't matter if you, whether you are a Chinese, a Filipino, a Korean, an American. All of us are sinners and there is nothing we can do to make ourselves right before God. This is the bad news. But praise God, chapter 3 did not end with the bad news. Instead, Paul showed us how God did something or, and did the best thing he could to solve the problem of sin. And that is what we will look at today. So again, Romans chapter 3, 1 to 31, there are three things that we'll look at. First is God's faithfulness, and then humanity's guilt, and then God's provision for righteousness. And I invite you to follow along with your Bibles as we study this. Now here's our main lesson for today. All of humanity have sinned and we lack the perfect righteousness that God demands. But God, through Jesus Christ, provided the means to make us right with him. And this righteousness is a free gift that we received through faith. All of humanity have sinned against God and we lack the perfect righteousness that he demands. But God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, provided the means to make us right with him. And this righteousness is a free gift that we received 
through faith. Let's unpack this truth. The first, God's faithfulness in the judgment of the Jewish people. Paul had been preaching um, the good news or the gospel for about 20 years. And so by this time, he is already familiar with the questions that people would ask. And so as Paul writes to the Roman Christians, he expects the Jewish believer then that they will object or question some of the things that he teaches. So here in chapter 3, Paul wrote down their possible questions and objections, and then Paul did his best to answer those one by one. And so here in chapter 3, you can see a question and answer style that Paul used, which is called a diatribe. Paul here is having an imaginary debate with someone trying to ask a question, and then Paul himself will give the answer. Let's begin. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Here's the first question. What advantage is it of being a Jew? Is there any value on exercising the Jewish ritual of circumcision? In other words, Paul is anticipating this question. People are asking, what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there a value to it? Because you are saying that there's no guarantee that we will be saved. Uh, initially, you could say that Paul could have said, yes, you're right, there's no advantage. But here, it's quite a surprise Paul said, no, there are great benefits on being a Jew. First of all, this is what Paul said, first of all, the Jewish people were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. In the original term, in the original language, the whole revelation of God means the oracles of God. It does not just include the commandments, but it also includes the prophecies and the covenant promises that God gave to his people, Israel. And as God's people, you see, God directly revealed his word to the nation of Israel, and they had a better opportunity to know God, to obey God more than any other nations back then. And that's a great advantage. And what else? Paul said, this is the first, first of all, but then if you look at the list, Paul no longer followed uh, the list with this. But so probably the word first of all means this is the most important, that God himself revealed his oracle. He revealed himself personally to the people of Israel. But then in chapter 9, we see what Paul wrote. And somehow he lists these advantages of the Jews. So let's read this, chapter 9, verses 4 to 5. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. And God revealed his glory to them, and he made covenants with them and gave him his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him in the temple and receiving his wonderful promises. And they had the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and as their ancestors. And Christ, our Savior, was himself as, is an Israelite by his human nature, and he is the God who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. These are the things that Paul listed down to highlight the advantages of the Jews, the privileges that they experience. And these privileges may uh, lead us to this question, what value is there in being a Jew? Again, Paul says, everything, this is so valuable. But then here's another thing. Yes, these things are valuable, are beneficial, but then the Jewish people are not um, a special people in a sense because they themselves were unfaithful and they themselves have sinned against God. In fact, God gave them so much, so much blessing that God expects them to have a greater responsibility. Diba napanood natin yung sa Marvel, no? With great powers comes great responsibility. 
And in a way, it's, it's, it's saying, God is saying the same thing. I have blessed you, and therefore, I expect more from you. I have given you my word, and therefore, you ought to live by that standard, by what I expect. Sadly, Israel failed to make use of this great advantage. And that is what Paul highlights in verses 3 to 4. He said, true, some of them were unfaithful. Now, this principle applies to all of us. We can ask, is there an advantage of being born in a Christian country or being part or uh, of growing up in a Christian family? Is there value in studying in a Christian school or going to a Bible teaching or Bible-believing church? Of course, there is a great advantage. You see, there, these are great privileges because if you are born in a Christian family, you can hear the gospel early in your life and most likely you will be exposed to godly men and women who would teach you and you could learn from biblical principles that would help you make wise decisions and those decisions would save you from a lot of unnecessary heartaches. That's a great privilege. But here's the thing, even if your parents were Christian, even if you attend or you go to a Christian church or a Christian school, it doesn't guarantee salvation. Listening to sermons, doing Christian activities, doing church won't make you right before God. You see, our salvation comes only from the Lord through His righteousness, and that righteousness is something that we don't have, but only God can provide. It is not through religious activities, it is not through moral actions, but it is through God's grace and through His gift. Let's read verse 3 again. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not, Paul says, even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. And as the scripture says about him, you will be proven right in what you say and you will win your case in court. Paul here highlights God's faithfulness. Yes, the Israelites failed and they were unfaithful. They broke their promises. They broke their covenant before the Lord. But, that does, but it doesn't mean God will be unfaithful to his word. Yes, some people failed in upholding the law, in upholding their promises before God. But it doesn't mean that God himself will back out from his word. And that is what Paul is telling us here. And so friends, this is an encouragement to all of us. Just reflect on your life. How many of us have been unfaithful like the people of Israel? The people of Israel, God saved them from Egypt and they Moses brought them to Mount Sinai and then they gave them the covenant. And then even before Moses went down uh, to that, um, from that mountain, the people of Israel started worshiping other gods. And how many of us were like that? God has been so faithful, so gracious to us. But we have been unfaithful to him. We have denied him and we have followed our own gods, our own self. But God has been patient. God has been gracious. Just look at the Apostle Paul. He himself was initially an enemy of the gospel. He's an enemy of the cross. Paul in his seal persecuted the church, but then God was patient and he saved Paul at the proper time. He changed his name from Saul to Paul and he transformed his life. And he even gave a commission for Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That is the grace of God. That is the patience of God. That is God's faithfulness. And so friends, that is something that should encourage us. We may be sinful and unfaithful, but God is faithful until the end. Now, this leads us to the next question. How then can God condemn us if 
the unrighteousness of, or our sin highlights His righteousness. That is the next question that Paul anticipated. So here in verse 5, uh, we can read, But if our righteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is He? Paul is speaking here in human terms. May it never be, he said, for otherwise, how will God judge the world? You see, Paul is saying here that, you see, this is a common human argument. And perhaps you've also uh, experienced this same reasoning. If my sin makes God looks good, if my sin makes God looks great, isn't it unfair for God to punish us because it just highlights his glory? You see, this kind of thinking is a twisted human reasoning. And so Paul strongly rejects this idea. May it never be. Because many people say, oh, it's better for us to lie so that we can highlight God's truthfulness. Oh, it's better for us to, to do worldly things, to do things that are impure and unclean so that God's holiness and purity will be highlighted. That is a twisted mindset. And so Paul is correct in saying in verse 6, for those who say, let us do evil so that good may come, Paul says, their condemnation is just and well-deserved. So we have to be careful by the way we think. And Paul concludes this section by saying, it is just for them to be condemned who think this way. And that leads us to our next point, which is humanity's condemnation. Humanity's guilt and condemnation. The third question is this, are the Jews better than others? Verse 9, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? Not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Here Paul repeats what he said before, Jews and Gentiles are sinners before God. There is no excuse. And it was highlighted by the, the previous verses wherein people have this twisted thinking. They say, okay, let's do evil. So God's goodness may be revealed more. That's a twisted reasoning. And this is just one example of human sinfulness. And Paul repeats that this. Yes, both Jews and Gentiles are sinful, and particularly under the power of sin. In the original Greek, the word under is hupo, which is a military term, which means to be under the authority of someone. Here, it's a Roman commander ordering the soldiers to do what they need to do. And that is an accurate depiction of how sin controls us. Our sin somehow acts like a general and sin orders us around and we just follow it. Sin tells us, say no to God, say yes to the world, and we just follow it. And this is the reality that Paul is highlighting. We are under the power of sin. And just in case somebody disagrees with Paul's claim, Paul strengthened his argument. And what did he do? He started quoting verses from the Old Testament. And he did that to prove his point that his point is not just his own personal opinion, but his point is as old as the Old Testament. It is coming, this truth comes from the very words of God himself. Listen to what Paul said. These are the verses that he quoted. All are under sin, and as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless, and there is none who does good, not even one. This verse tells us that sin has not only affected every person, but sin has affected every part of our being. Let's enumerate this. Just 
Look at these verses again. It tells us that sin is in our character. It says that no one is righteous. Sin is in our mind that no one understands. And sin is in our hearts. No one seeks God. We only seek our own pleasure. We only seek something that is beneficial for ourselves and not necessarily beneficial for others. Verse 12, it tells us sin is also in our will. All have turned aside and no one does good. And this is what the prophet Isaiah says, that all of us are like sheep that have gone astray and each of us have turned on our own separate ways. And because of this sin, we have become useless, we have become unprofitable, and we have no value. It means that as fallen humanity, we make zero contrib contribution to God's kingdom. And in our sinfulness, there is no value to us that whatever we do is it's not pleasing or it, it doesn't serve God at all because it only serves ourselves. Sin affects all of our lives. And what else? Sin is also in our speech, verses 13 to 14. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. Poison is asp of us is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their path. And in the path of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Again, Paul is saying sin has affected our speech. We lie, we say harsh words, we criticize, we exaggerate, we flatter, we gossip, we curse, and many more. And what else? Sin is in our feet, verses 15 to 17. We are swift to cause harm to others, and we bring destruction to those around us. It negatively affects the people around us, whether in school, at home, at work, or in church. And not only that, sin is also in our eyes. There is no fear of God, Paul says, in their eyes. And this is true to many of us. Instead of humility, we have haughty eyes and a proud look before God. We do not fear God and we do not fear His judgment. And most of the time, we think highly of ourselves and we look down on people. Again, here's the point. Sin has infected and affected every part of our being. Just think about the recent elections. Yes, we have good intentions. We love our country. Many of us love our country. We have good intentions. And, but then in the way we express these good intentions, we promote certain candidates and we voted for certain leaders. But then what happened? All of us, many of us were divided. Many of us were hurt. We're grieved, we're, we're offended, whatever your position is. Why? Because also sin played a part in that, in regardless of the good intentions that we have. That's the sad reality of the situation we are in. And this truth of that sin, that reality of sin affecting us, in us, that truth is what theologians call the doctrine of total depravity. Now let me explain because this is something that many Christians misunderstand. You see, the doctrine of total depravity summarizes uh, what the Bible says about the human condition that we are in. Now, let me explain what it does not mean first. First, it does not mean that people are as wicked or as sinful as one could be. It does not mean that a person could no longer do good things based on human standards or God's law. Of course, we can still show love to our kids. We can show um, compassion to the poor. Those are good things. 
But what the doctrine of this total depravity means, it means that sin has affected every part of our being, our mind, our will, our moral reasoning, our words. Sin has affected our emotions, desires, choices, and actions. And this is something that uh, is, is a reality of our life. No? I, I remember when I was uh, young, um, I was, uh, um, I, I'm enjoying a, I, I bought a snack when, during recess in our school, and I was trying to enjoy it. But then my classmate started to ask, oh, can I have some? Can I have one candy? In my mindset, oh, I, wa I really want to, I really want to enjoy. Gusto kong ubusin yung candy na yun, kasi ang sarap eh. I really want to enjoy that. But at the back of my mind, somehow my conscience tell me, oh, you tell, oh, you give, you share to that person. So I, I gave to that person. But here's my motivation. You know why I gave that candy? Because sabi ko, oh maybe this will, if I give one candy, maybe I can earn one point so I can go to heaven. I was grade one, grade two that time, but I have that thinking. I'm doing good outwardly, but my motivation is selfish. It's somehow, oh, at least I can earn point to heaven. So that is something that, that's the reality of sin working in my life. It doesn't mean that we can, do good things outwardly, but some of the motivation is, is not God glorifying it. It's not done out of faith. That motivation is still done for myself, for my own gain, my own pleasure. Again, this is the reality that sin has affected all of our lives. As someone said, if sin is color blue, we'd be color blue all over us. Part of us will be dark blue, part of us will be light blue, royal blue, navy blue, but then the point is, all of our being is a, a shade or part blue in one way or another. That's the reality of sin affecting us. And Paul ends this section with this final verdict, verse 19 to 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. What's the final verdict here? Verse 20 tells us, No one will be justified. No one will be made right with God by doing what the law commands. It says here that whatever we do, whether we do our best to follow God's law, none of us will please God. Why? Because we are sinners. We are like King Maida. Whatever he touches turns into gold. Initially, it was a blessing because if he touches a rock, it becomes gold. If it touches an ordinary metal, it becomes gold. If it touches a wood, it becomes gold, which is so valuable. But then it became a curse. When he started to touch food, he cannot eat the food because it turned out to be gold also. And so the reality is we are like King Maida. Whatever we touch, we turn it into something that is not pleasing to God. It's like we are having this virus, a very contagious virus. Whatever we touch, the surface becomes unclean and infected. That's the reality of our situation. And no amount of obedience to the law, no amount of being good, of being moral, can erase that reality from us. Now what's the final verdict? Verse 20 tells us, no one will be justified or be made right with God by doing what the law commands. You see, this is one of the Bible passages that clearly tells us that one cannot be made righteous by keeping the Old Testament commandments. None of us can work our way towards heaven because none of us can earn our points so that we can please God. And Paul gives us two reasons. First, the law can only speak and condemn us. Paul says that 
God is the judge in his divine courtroom and the law stands as a witness against us. And when the law will present this evidence that we have done this, we have failed to do that, our mouths will be sealed and we will shut up. Meaning we have no excuse before God because in reality, all of us are guilty. Now think about this. Well, I, I, uh, I start to reflect on my life and I started to think about the Ten Commandments. And if I grade my life according to this, what will be my score? It tells us the first command, you shall have no other gods before me. I have failed in that because I have worshipped other gods. I have bowed down to the idols of my heart. I have pursued myself than God. The second command is, you shall not make an idol for yourself. And I failed in that area. Number three, command number three, you shall not take the name of God in vain. I have failed to do that. I also failed to keep the Sabbath as holy. I have dishonored my father and mother. I have stolen when I was a kid. I have stolen money from my parents, sad to say. I have also lied and coveted. By God's grace, I haven't committed murder nor adultery. But then Jesus said, if I have been very angry with my brother, if I have looked at a woman lustfully, then it's already equivalent to murder and adultery. So I failed in these areas also. So what's my score? Sadly, I, my score is zero out of 10. Sobrang bagsak. But how about you? Think about your life. Maybe some of you are better. Maybe some of you are only um, violated five of the Ten Commandments, so you have a 50% grade. Some of you may have only violated two or just one, so you have 80% or 90%, which is in the school grading system, that is already above passing grade, and 90% is very good. Again, what is your score? Think about your life. But here's the problem. Yes, in the school system, 80%, 90% is good. But in God's system, it is still a failure. Why? Because either you get 100% or you get zero. Because that's the reality of the situation. James says, for a person who keeps all of the law except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's law. James 2, 10. This is the reality. And so you may say, Ang taas naman standard ni God. Of course, God's standard is so high because He is perfect and righteous. And somehow, in trying to, to reflect on this, how can, how can we really understand this? Bakit sa atin parang okay lang, kahit 99%, pasad, uh, okay lang. Kahit may 1% na mali, okay lang. But then I realized, think about this. If you are married, um, of course, you made a covenant with your spouse. Do you expect your spouse to be 100% faithful to you? Of course you do. Now, what would you do if, if your spouse tells you, Oh, uh, honey, uh, can I request something? I, I love you. I, I want to be with you all the days of my life. But here's my request. Can you give me one day every year so that I can spend time with my ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend? Just one day out of the 365. Out of the 365 days. Please give me that. Would you agree? Of course not. Eh, pagkakinumpit mo yun sa percentages, di ba? That's 99.7, uh, I think 99.3%. I, I tried to compute that. Eh. Of course, hindi, hindi ka papayag, di ba? Eh, pero pagka nag-negotiate yung asawa mo, sabi niya, honey, o oh, sige, ganito na lang. Every four years, pwede bang every February 29? Kasi eh, February 29, every four years lang naman nangyayari. Can you give me that time to just spend that day with my ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend? But then, for the next 
1,460 days, I'll be with you. That's four years eh. Pero yung one day na yon para lang sa, sa ex ko, okay ba yun? Siyempre, hindi ka pa rin papayag because you demand a 100% faithfulness from your spouse. So that's the reality of, of God himself demands from us. God is requiring 100%. He doesn't want to tolerate even a 0.001% of you denying him or, or uh, sinning against him. Because that's the reality of our relationship with God. It's, it's a marriage covenant. And I hope this is something that we understand. And we have to set our bar high in our relationship with our spouse and our relationship with God. Again, James tells us, if you break only one of God's law, you are guilty of all. Friends, that is the bad news. And God will condemn us because of that, because God's perfection. He is holy and he is perfectly righteous and he cannot tolerate sin. And the Bible says God is a consuming fire. Every, just a small ounce of sin, it will be more than enough to cause us for God to judge us and to burn us through his holy and jealous righteousness. And here's the second reason why the law cannot save us. The law only shows how sinful we are. It says, verse 20, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And this is a very beautiful quote by James, by uh, J.B. Phillips. He says that the law of God is like a mirror. It shows us how dirty we are. And the purpose of the mirror is not to wash our face. The purpose of the mirror is to direct us to the water so that we can wash our face so that it can make us, so that the water can make us clean. You see, the mirror don't save us. The word of God don't save us. But it meant to drive us to the only place where we can be saved, and that is to the living water, to the cleansing water of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, reflect on your life. Are you still trying to earn your way to heaven? Are you trying to earn your way through your moral goodness? Are you still doing your best or attempting for, for God to be pleased with you through your own good works? Sad to say, all of this attempt to please God are useless. Why? Because we are fallen sinners. Every thought, every action that we have, it infects everything that we do with sin. And God hates sin so much and he cannot tolerate that. And he won't tolerate that. That's the reality of our situation. Sin is so offensive to God. And if we are not in Christ, whatever we say, whatever we do, God sees it as, as an offense against him. So whether you are in a Christian family, whether you attend church, that's the reality of the situation. That's the bad news. But dear brothers and sisters, praise God because chapter 3 did not end with the bad news. And we are grateful for the Apostle Paul when he transitioned, when he said, but now, in verse 21, it says, but now, after God showed his faithfulness and he declared the Jews as uh, condemned, and he's a through the Apostle Paul, he said that all of humanity are guilty and is condemned. But Paul says then, but now. And Paul here transitions from the bad news to the good news. And he will explain and he will show us what did God do so that he can provide the righteousness that he perfectly demands from us. And that is the third point. God's provision for righteousness and justification. Here in chapter 3, Paul uses the imagery of a divine courtroom wherein God sits as the judge of all humanity. God is the judge and humanity is the, 
one who is the accused party. We are part of that accused party. And God's law stands as the witness that condemns us. And what is our verdict? We are guilty of sin. We have failed in our, uh, in our level of righteousness. We have fallen short of the glory of God. But praise God for his goodness. Instead of declaring us guilty, what did God do? God justified us and declared us not guilty. Instead of telling that we are due for wrath and judgment, God made a way to drop all the charges against us beyond reasonable doubt. And he said, you are innocent beyond reasonable doubt. But how did he do that? Verses 20 to 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law of Moses and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Here again, Paul tells us that God showed his wisdom and he did something to, for us to be made right with him and without, uh, without us having to follow the law. How did he do that? It is through God's provision of righteousness through Jesus Christ by faith. Through Jesus Christ by faith, we receive God's righteousness. And Paul continues, verses 23 to 25, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Now, there are a few technical terms here that I want to explain to help us better understand this passage. The first, glory of God, it refers to God's perfect standard of righteousness, his perfect holiness, his perfect moral goodness. And to be justified is a legal term. It means to be declared righteous and to be declared not guilty. Grace, it means favor, blessing, or kindness to someone undeserving. And then redemption, to set free by paying the price. And then propitiation, it's a peace offering. Propitiation is something that uh, you do to appease a wrath of someone and to be reconciled that person. For example, if me and my wife had a conflict and she gets angry at me and I know I have sinned, what I will do is I will ask her, oh honey, how can I make up? What can I do? And somehow I will give her a peace offering. And so that would appease her anger, but at the same time, it will help us reconcile. So that's the meaning of propitiation. And then faith is to trust or to believe something as true and, in, and to live according to that conviction. So here's the meaning of this passage. All of us have sinned and we have failed to measure up to God's perfect standard of holiness and righteousness. And because of that, the only thing that we deserve that we can expect is God's wrath and judgment. But out of his grace, God did something and he gave us a gift and a favor and he gave us his grace. He gave us something that we don't deserve. And what is that? He gave us his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for our sin. We don't deserve that because we deserve his judgment and hell. But God gave Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. And through the blood of Christ, Christ paid the penalty. He became our redeemer. He set us free from the power of sin by paying that price on the cross, by paying the penalty for sin. And we also, Christ also became the propitiation for us uh, on our behalf. He became our peace offering so that God's peace, uh, so that God's wrath will be a peace and so that we can have peace and be reconciled with God. And that is something that we can receive through faith. When we started to believe that first, 
we are nothing before God. We cannot do something about our condition. That's the first step. And then we believe that Christ did everything for us on our behalf, 100% perfect and complete. And all we need to do is to trust on the work on Jesus Christ. And that is something that we can be assured of. That when we do that, when we believe that in faith, when we believe that God did everything for us, when we put our trust in Christ, then we can experience that gift of salvation. Again, here's our lesson for today. All of humanity have sinned and we lack the perfect righteousness that God demands. But praise God, through His grace, through Jesus Christ, He provided the means for us to make us right with Him. And this righteousness is a free gift that we receive through faith. So may the Lord help us. Friends, God did this for what reason? Verse 26 tells us to demonstrate His righteousness for he himself is fair and just. He makes sinners right in his sight even when they believe in Jesus. Friends, this is God's goodness. In his perfect justice, Christ was punished on the cross on our behalf. God punished sin through the death of Christ because the penalty for sin, the wages of sin is death. And then God also showed his perfect goodness to all of us when he justifies us. When we put our faith in Jesus. You see what happens? Jesus Christ is so perfect and we are so imperfect. Actually, sabi nga mga theologians, we are not, not just zero. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are negative. But Christ is so perfect. So what happens is when God sacrificed Jesus Christ on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And when we receive Christ um, by faith, what did, what did we receive? Our sin, the negative things in us, is already washed away. And then, but we're still zero. So what did God do? God imputed Christ's righteousness. God imputed all of the good things in Christ upon us. So it, God added those things upon us. So our account, spiritual account now, is no longer negative. It's no longer bankrupt, but it's already positive. That's the grace of God. From the enemy of God before, we are now adopted as children of God. That's what we learn in Ephesians. And not just only adopted children, but we are also a co-heir with Christ. And that is something that we can look forward to. That's the grace of God. That's the goodness of God. That is the perfect righteousness of our Lord God. So brothers and sisters, this is the truth that we have to reflect on. What would be your choice? How would you respond? So as we go to this last part, let me give you these things to consider for our application. The first, be humble. Paul says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law. Again, friends, family, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, by ourselves, we can do nothing. All we, all we could offer to God are the sins that we have committed. That is the only contribution that we have. Walang ang positive eh, negative ba? Because that's the only thing that we could have offered to God. Just our sin. And so we should be humble before God and, and realize, Lord, indeed, it's you who did everything, I have nothing. And be praise, and praise be to your name. We should have that attitude. And so that leads us to this next application is be grateful. Let's be grateful. When was the last time you thanked God for his goodness to you? You see, the challenge for 
preaching Romans and even studying the book of Romans because we are so familiar. We hear this week in and week out. We hear about the gospel. We hear about God's grace and we are so familiar. We are, parang, in Tagalog, nagsasawa na tayo. But I hope we should not come to that point because this is the very heart of God. And you and I, God calls us, if we are in Christ, God calls us to be ambassadors of his gospel, of his grace. And I hope and pray that this message, and as we study through the book of Romans, that we go back to basic and rediscover what we have missed. In John, the Lord Jesus Christ confronted the church of Ephesus and said, you have forgotten your first love. Go back the way you were before. And church, I think this is the time for us now to go back, especially with what's going on, a lot of chaos happening around us. Locally, the nation is divided. Geopolitically, the world is in chaos. A lot of threats of death, a lot of threats of financial crisis, geopolitical war, and, and many other catastrophes. So we need to go back to basic. We need to rediscover the gospel because this is our only hope. And that would motivate us to love God more and to love others more. But the question is, how, what effort are you making to go back to that where we came from? To remember our status before. Remember that we are, that we are all beggars. I like what Boksu said uh, a few weeks ago. We should not um, divide ourselves into Christians and not Christians. But we should see people as sinners and ourselves sinners saved by grace. And that should give us that motivation to really have a heart for the lost, a heart for God by appreciating the gospel, his, his goodness to us. Again, when was the last time you took the time to pause and pray? And I encourage you, if you could watch a lot of movies in Netflix for three hours, I, why not spend a few more minutes, 30 minutes, maybe an hour, just to spend time with God and appreciate him for all the things that he did to us. And for those of you who have not yet surrendered your life to Christ, I invite you, trust, and trust your life to Christ. What are you waiting for? What other reasoning are you asking for? Paul, through God through Paul, showed us that we can do nothing. We are sinners. We are so helpless. We are blind. We are in the dark. We are in shackles. We are imprisoned by sin. And nothing can save us, only Jesus Christ. And if you do not receive that gift, friends, let me remind you, God has his timeline and he has limited time. His, his word says, harden not your hearts. If you hear his voice today, harden not your hearts. Now is the time of your salvation. Now is the day of your redemption. And I hope and pray that you would respond by faith. Put your faith in Christ. Trust and receive the perfect gift that he offers, the righteousness of God that he gives to us. Because it's only through him that we can escape the wrath of God, his judgment. And number four, obey and offer yourselves as living sacrifice. Verse 31 tells us, well then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean that we can forget about the law? Paul says, of course not. In fact, only when we have faith, we do truly fulfill the law. Yes, Paul tells us that the law cannot save us. It points us to sin. But then after we are now in Christ, God's Spirit is in us and Christ's perfect righteousness is already in us. And 
God is now given us the capacity, a new heart, to empower us so that we can fulfill the law and obey the law that is in a way that pleases God. Friends, this is the heart of God, that we be, rece that we be receiving his kingdom, that we be receiving his family, but at the same time, that we have the capacity to live like Christ, to obey his law through Christ by God's grace. And how do we do this? Romans 12, verse 1. And next time we will study this more thoroughly. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What is God's mercy? God's mercy is all of us are sinners. We are human beings destined for wrath and judgment. But God, out of his grace, gave us this free gift. He sacrificed his son. Instead of us dying on the cross, instead of us being given a a sentence of a verdict of uh, eternal damnation in hell. Instead of God telling us that we're guilty, our guilt was placed on Christ, and Christ paid and died the death that we deserve. That is the mercy of God. Christ sacrificed his body for us, his life for us. He gave it up. And isn't it just right for us to offer back and sacrifice back our life to the Lord? And this sacrifice is not just not just a sacrifice of dying, but it's also a sacrifice as a living sacrifice. To live no longer for ourselves, no longer for the pleasures of this world, no longer for the idols of your heart, but to live according to what God's will for us and his purpose. And that is to live for his glory because that would result to our ultimate good. Friends, God invites us. Christ already, Christ's spirit is already in us and he will empower us to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as Christ loved us. So friends, what is your choice? Let's be humble. Let us be grateful. Let us trust in Jesus. Obey the Lord and offer your life as a living sacrifice. Again, what would be your choice? May the Lord help us. Let us remember that all of humanity have sinned and we lack the perfect righteousness that God demands. But God, through Jesus Christ, provided the means to make us right with him. And his righteousness, this righteousness is a free gift that we receive through faith. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for the message of Romans through the Apostle Paul. It's a heavy message. It's a, a lot of confusing terms a lot of theological jargons. But Lord, out of these things, just help us to, to really find this gem of truth, of, of just going back to the basic, going back to your very heart, back to the gospel, back to the good news. Help us to remember that we were once sinners, beggars, blind, imprisoned, hopeless, because of the power of sin. But Lord, out of your mercy and grace, you came, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to save us. You did not leave us there in the dark, in the dumps, but you made a way to seek us, to look for us. We were lost, but you have found us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Forgive us for many times that we have taken this for granted, that we have taken this message for granted. Yes, we live in a Christian country, but we do not value much this truth that you teach us, that we hear week in and week out. 
forgive us, O Lord. And through this message once more, would you awaken our hearts, revive us, O God, and may you help us to appreciate your perfect righteousness, your perfect grace, your goodness to us. And help us, Lord, to live a life starting today to offer our hearts to you in humility, in thankfulness, and by faith, help us to preach the gospel, to live out the gospel, to obey your word, to obey your commands and promises, and to live our lives as a living sacrifice. Father, we pray for our country. Many of us are divided over many issues. I pray that you be the one to help us to know when to speak, when not to speak when to uphold the truth and when to be when to listen when to focus on love when to focus on truth help us oh god we are so weak we are so lacking in knowledge enable us oh lord to to navigate our way through this situation may you be the god who remind us lord god that indeed in everything that you are sovereign we we may not know every answer to our situation we may not be certain or, or or know what tomorrow would bring and many of us are afraid of what the future will hold but then you are the god who is our who is our everlasting rock the god who is our protector our redeemer our shield our light the light of our salvation of and with you we can fear no evil oh god help us lord walk with us guide us with your presence Thank you, Father, for this week as we face the challenges ahead of us. We pray for your healing for those of us who are sick. We pray for wisdom for those of us who are confused. We pray for your resurrection power to enable us to live a life that you call us as parents, as teachers, as workers, as ministers, O oh Lord. Help us to be your ambassador, to be your salt and light in this world. Father, thank you so much. In everything, may you be alone, be glorified in our words, in our thoughts, in our choices, in our actions, in our desires, in our motivation. Thank you, Father. May the life of Christ, may the perfect righteousness of Christ be evident in our lives for your glory and for our good. Thank you, Lord. And as you bow down your head, let me give you this benediction. May God himself, the God of peace, the God of perfect righteousness, sanctify you through and through May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.